Excellent. Good to have each and every one of you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, open to James chapter number five. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the time of worship. I think it's probably my favorite part of our services. It's just taking time to, to sing and worship God through uh, praising his name. And uh, I love the songs that we sing here. And uh, this, this morning uh, is no exception. It was, it was great. And I hope your heart is ready and prepared to receive what God has. In fact, that's the whole purpose of singing praises. Uh, the, the singing to God, exalting his name, actually prepares our heart now to receive what God's word says. And so after that wonderful singing today, this morning, I, I think we'll be ready, and I hope you're ready to receive what God has. James chapter number five, we're going to continue our study on genuine Christianity. We've been going through this book verse by verse and just getting truths from this book that James, who was the pastor of the first church there in Jerusalem, uh, truths that he shared with uh, those that had gone out because of persecution. They had gone out of Jerusalem. They had, had to flee because of the persecution that was there. And so he writes this letter to them, and he's just sharing with them some practical truth that they can live every day, truth that connects with their faith. And, and by the way, he, he says this in the letter, and we studied this, any faith that's not practiced in our life is dead faith. It's not real. It's not alive. It, it makes no difference. Real faith makes a difference in our lives. When we truly apply what God's word says, that makes our faith come alive. And when our faith is alive, it makes a difference. Dead faith makes no difference at all. And that's why it's so important for us to have genuine faith in our life. And we've been learning about this. We learned in chapter one about the perspective of our faith, how we are to see life through the faith and the lens of the faith that we have. In chapter two, we learned about the practice of our faith. What does this entail? We, we are to be doers of the word. We're, we're to actually have works that prove our faith, not just what we say we believe, but then our actions should reflect what we say we believe. And so chapter two is all about that. Chapter three is all about the power of our faith, how we share uh, the power of the gospel. The, the, the Bible says that the power of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you're going to share your faith it, the, and share that power, it's sharing that message. And that's why it's so important how we talk. It's so important, the, the life and the testimony that we give in the words that we say. Uh, and, and James talked about that in, in, in chapter 3, right? Our, our mouth shouldn't be, we shouldn't have a forked tongue. I don't know if you've heard that expression, but we shouldn't say one thing one day and another thing another day and be kind of two different people in what we say. James says, that's not genuine. That's not real faith. Uh, that, that is just a, a, uh, a, a kind of faith that is two-faced if you will. Chapter four, we learned about the passion of our faith and having a true passion for God leads us to live a different kind of life, to love different things in this world, not the temporal things, but the eternal things, not to love possessions, but to love people. And it's so important for us to learn that in our faith and to live that way. In chapter five, we started it last week and really this chapter focuses on prayer. Now, most of the time, if you're like me, you'll find that prayer is most alive in your life when problems come. And, and that's when we need prayer most. And, and by the way, prayer is probably the most important thing that you can do as a Christian. 
Now, sadly, if you're like me, you'll probably find that that's the hardest thing to do is pray. Our natural tendency is to do things. We don't, we don't like kind of just to sit around and wait and be patient and let God do his thing. We like to be helping God, right? Uh, we're, we're like the first grade student that always wants to hold the door and be first in line. And hey, let me help the teacher out. She needs some help here. Uh, that's how we are. But God says, the best thing that you can do in your life is to be patient, to pray. Ask God to do the work. And this chapter is all about that. We learned last week that we need to have prayer if we're going to overcome materialism in our life. And materialism is a big thing here in America. God has blessed us materially uh, with lots of things. And if we're not careful, things begin to run our life. Our job begins to run our life. Success begins to run our life. Money begins to run our life. And how are you going to overcome that? Through prayer. We talked about that last week, and this week we're going to talk about patient prayers. Patient prayers. So look, if you will, in James chapter 5 and verse number 7, as we, as we read the next portion of our scripture, uh, he's already talked about praying to overcome materialism, but now look what he says in verse number 7. He says, be patient, therefore, uh, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, uh, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. What James is talking about in this portion of scripture is praying for patience. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it does and how to do that, how you pray for patience. Because the question this morning is, what do you do when problems come? What, what is it that you run to do when things in life get difficult? Here in this chapter already, he's talking about sometimes how materialism can mess everything up. And how those that live for materialism can actually mess with your world sometimes. You see people that have money and power and sometimes justice is turned and, and things that we feel aren't right are done. And we say, well, what can you do? Most of us are like, well, that's just the way the government works. Or you know what? That's just how it is in the company where I work. Or that's just how life is. And, and sometimes we just kind of want to dismiss our problems like hey, we have no control over. And perhaps there's a lot of problems in our life that we don't have control over. And there are a lot of situations in life that we cannot change on our own. But when problems come, there is something that you can do. The answer to the trials of our life or the problems of our life isn't just to say, oh, well, that's just life. I'm not going to do anything about it. But rather to realize that there is something that you can do in those times of trials when facing difficulties and having problems in life. 
How is it that we can do? Because you can do something about it. Now, the answer isn't for you to figure out. The answer is to pray through those problems. Now, that goes against every fiber of our being. As I said, it is natural for you and I to want to solve a problem. Is it not? Right? Anytime you run into a problem, you're always like, all right, how am I going to get out of this? Let, let me think. Now, I'm not saying that God says don't use your mind or don't be logical or just be foolish and make any decision. God doesn't say that. God, God says you ought to be wise and, and have a right perspective as we've learned in chapter 1. But during that time, you need to be praying. That perspective and that wisdom comes through the vehicle of prayer, not through the vehicle of logic, not through the vehicle of determination, not through the vehicle of positive thinking. No, no, it, it comes through prayer. And if the problem overcomes you many times, it's because what you were looking to be a solution was your own self-logic. It was your own self of trying to figure it out instead of leaning on God. Kind of reminds me of a story in 1986 uh, of these two ships. They, they were uh, cruise ships. They were there on, on the Black Sea, and they realized uh, that they, they had passengers, but they realized they were on a collision course. And, um, and sadly, uh, over that time that they realized they were on a collision course, instead of evading one another, they actually ran into one another. Hundreds of lives were lost as they went into the cold uh, black ocean of the Black Sea. And so an investigation was, of course, uh, done to find out what happened. And here's what they found. They found that the equipment worked perfectly fine. They found that the rudders were actually working great. They found that the steam and the steering wheel of the ships wasn't stuck at all. You say, well, what was the problem? The problem was that these two captains were expecting the other one to yield. They said, no, you move your ship. And the other captain answered and said, no, you move your ship. We were here first. We're going to figure this out. And they fought and fought to the finally, when they started to make the turn, it was too late. Just because of the stubbornness of two captains. And we can look at that story and say, those guys are idiots. And we're right, they are. But you know, so many times we, we get into a collision course with the problems of our life. And instead of getting to God through prayer to say, hey, I need to change course. I, there's something that needs to happen and change before I crash. Instead of that, we try to figure it out on our own. And we're so stubborn that we say, listen, listen I, I don't really need to spend that much time in prayer. I know what to do in this situation. I know how to take care of this. Before you know it, we're crashing. And that's why James is saying to those that are reading this letter, hey, be patient, brethren. And understand that's not how you're going to get out of these problems. That's not how you're going to overcome the issues that you are facing. There's a way to avoid that kind of colossal mistake. And, and the way to do that is through prayer. So I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you this morning three quick prayer requests that you ought to have in your life. Three things that you ought to be praying about to avoid uh, the, the, the wrong outcome and the problems that you're facing 
in life. Three ways to pray as you do this. I want you to notice, first of all, that you ought to pray for an enduring patience. Pray for an enduring patience. Now, the word patient here in the Greek is, is the word uh, uh, makrothmeo, uh, which literally means long-suffering. So James says, listen, you're going through some issues, there's some difficulties, there's some problems. Listen, as you pray, ask this, God, would you give me some enduring patience? In other words, help me to be long-suffering, uh, to not get ahead of God on this. Help me not to get ahead of myself to trying to do something about it when really I need to just stop, be patient, and let God work. Let God bring a solution and give me wisdom during this time. It's, it's a patience to say, God, help me to be long-suffering. Now, I love the illustration that, that James uses because he uses the illustration of a farmer. Now, if there's anyone that cannot hurry anything up, it's a farmer, right? A farmer in his job is to plant seeds, water those seeds, take care of the soil, and wait, and wait, and wait. And you start praying in the fall as you're planting the seeds and preparing the soil. You say, Lord, can you bring some, some rain to soften up the soil and make sure it's ready as I plant the seed so that way whatever the corn I'm planting or whatever the trees that I'm planting, that they would have some good soil they can start growing in. That's called the early rains. That, that happens in the fall. And then around March or April is what's known as the latter rains for a farmer. And, and especially in the day and age in which James uh, lived and wrote this letter, that's how their economy kind of worked. It was an agricultural kind of economy. And, and so the early rains and the latter rains were really important. The latter rains is, is when that, uh, that corn or whatever you planted is growing and you need to water that whole field. And, and back then, their irrigation systems were not like the ones that we have today for many farmers. It, it was something that they needed to, to, to wait on God for. But at the end of doing all that work and preparing the soil and planting and taking care of their field, when that latter rain came, they started to, to bear fruit. And near the end of the, of the springtime, they start reaping everything they've worked for. Everything they waited on was right there. But you know, if a farmer can't plant in September and then reap in October. He can't hurry up that process. He, he can't make that thing go quickly. He's kind of got to just wait and wait and wait and take care and Say, oh man, I hope, I hope it rains in the next couple months, and then I hope the winter's not too cold and doesn't freeze over the crops, and then, hey, I, I hope in, in March, and I'm praying, God, bring that latter rain, because it's going to need it by then. The cold season's moving on, and, and we need this rain to start bearing some fruit for these trees as they're growing. And you need that to, to start reaping all of what you've done, and it requires patience. And James says, just like the farmer does that, he has to wait. There's not much he can do except to kind of prepare the soil. The same with you. He said when trials come and when difficulties are coming and, and you have problems in life, pray, God, help me to be long-suffering just like that farmer. I mean, not to hurry up the process because I can't. And help me just to just hold on and wait for you. It's called being long-suffering and, and waiting. And by the way, there are blessings at the end of that. There are blessings that God gives as you wait. 
Uh, one of my favorite examples of that is a story of David. If you know the, the Old Testament at all, how, how many have heard the, the story of David and Goliath? Anybody? Everybody's heard it? Great. Okay, so I'm not going to repeat the whole story. But you know, David is a big underdog. Goliath is a 10-foot man, a man of war, and David defeats him. That's really the, the, the big story that brings David on the scene. But before that ever happened, the prophet Samuel actually had visited David once. And the purpose of the visit was because God had told his prophet Samuel, I want you to go and anoint David and let him know he's going to be the next king. Now, we don't know exactly how old David was when that happened, but we know it was in his teens. He's probably 13 or 14, old enough to take care of sheep, because that's what he was doing in the fields when Samuel came that day. His whole family had forgotten about him, and Samuel looked at all his other brothers. There were seven older brothers than David, and, and God said, no, it's not him. Nope, it's not him. Nope, it's not him. And, and finally, Samuel said, hey, uh, Jesse, is this all your kids? He said, oh, no, I got one more. I, I think he's watching sheep. Anybody seen David? So they, they called David, and David comes. And in those days, what the prophet would do is that he would anoint the next king, and they would give a sacrifice to God. And most likely, when Samuel did that sacrifice, he probably only told David. The problem was is that Saul was king at that time. Samuel was very close to Saul. And Samuel was a little worried, and he told God this. He said, God, if Saul hears that instead of anointing his son Jonathan to be next king, I'm anointing David, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me, literally. And God said, just go and say that you're going to be doing a sacrifice for the people of Bethlehem uh, and for the city there, and don't worry about it. Just say that. So when he gets to Jesse's house, he says, yeah, I'm going to do a sacrifice for the city. It's going to be something that, that uh, God's called me to do this. But all the time knowing I'm going to anoint the next king. And he comes, and by the way, anointing wasn't uncommon. Anointing, sometimes if somebody was sick, and we'll, read it, we'll learn about this next week, if somebody was sick, they would anoint their head and pray over them. So there was a lot of reasons why you would anoint people. So just because he anointed David didn't mean that everybody knew, like, oh, he's going to be the next king. They anointed the priest. They anointed all kinds of, uh, for different uh, callings that God had. So here's David, probably 14, 15, I don't know, somewhere around that age, comes in from the field and Samuel tells him in his ear, David, I'm anointing you because God wants you to be the next king. David's got to hold that. And David knows this, but he knows he can't really share it and tell people because his own life would be in danger at doing that. And so there's David at 13 or 14, and he has this news. That's what God's going to do with you. A few years later, he goes and fights Goliath. He's probably 18 or 19. And you say, how do you know he's around 18 or 19? Well, people that were 20 years and older had to go to war. David's three older brothers were at war. That means they were probably 20 or older, but David wasn't. He, he was there watching sheep. So he's probably younger than 20 at this time when he goes and defeats Goliath. Do you know how old David was when he became king? 30 years old. He hears that he's going to be king at 15 years of age or so, 14, 15, around there. But it doesn't really happen until he's 30. All along that time, from 15 
to 30. Once Saul understands and hears that David is the next king, David was about 20 years old when Saul finds out for the next 10 years he's on the run. He's a fugitive. Saul was his father-in-law. His father-in-law wanted to kill him. And David the whole time has to be patient. And along that journey, there are times when David is at a point where he could take a knife and just cut Saul's throat. Saul was asleep in the cave, didn't even know Dave was there. And David could have done that, and he didn't do it. He decided to just be patient. There were times when he was hungry. There were times when he was penniless. There were times when he was just on the run in the wilderness. And yet he was patient. What an example of when things are going bad, when there are problems and they're not even of your own making, praying just for patience. James says, you know, when when you're facing problems, brethren, be patient. Remember the farmer that's waiting for the early and latter rains, but then the blessing comes. Remember like in David's life when he was like 14 or 15 and they tell him you're going to be the next king and it doesn't happen until he's 30? Just be patient. Just be patient. The blessings of God will come. They will come. Listen, God says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's something you have to understand about the blessings of God. The blessings of God come when we are patiently waiting. The rewards of God come when we are exercising our faith. But the blessings of God come when we are waiting. In case you're wondering what the difference between rewards and blessings are. Blessings come as we wait patiently on God. Rewards come as we exercise our faith and do these things, then, then God honors that. But, but the blessings, and James says, just wait. Patiently wait. Pray for God's enduring patience. Psalms 130, the psalmist said, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord, and more than they that they watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. You know, as we face the problems and difficulties of life, we need to avoid the temptation of, of losing our patience, of getting ahead of God and trying to figure it out just with our, our own self-strength. No, 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 wait for God. Wait for God. Ask God, help me to endure patiently, not only to wait for the blessings of God, but then we see to, to wait and pray for the enduring to stand firm during trials. Uh, Look at what James says. First, he says, so be patient, just like that farmer uh, who's waiting for the early and latter rains. But then he says in verse 8, but also be patient. Establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. That word establish means be firm. You know, the greatest step that you can take when facing problems in life is the next step. Just keep moving forward. Be ready to keep moving forward. That that standing firm doesn't have the idea of like a statue standing firm. No, what he's saying is keep going in that direction that you're going. Keep moving forward for God. Establishing your heart means that. Keep moving forward. Don't get off track. Because the problems in life can oftentimes get us off track. And James says, don't let that happen. Pray for an endurance to stand firm, to stay on track. We see Jesus did this. I put this in your notes. Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 and 52. Jesus' ministry is going well. He's got followers, got disciples. People are seeing miracles. People's lives are being changed. 
But Jesus' purpose of being on this earth was to die on a cross for your sin and mine. It wasn't simply to make the blind to see or the lame to walk, though he did those things. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to bring forgiveness of sin. His purpose was to give life eternal to those that believe. So notice what it says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That word, steadfastly set, those two words, in the Greek is the same word as that word here in verse number 8. Establish. Jesus, knowing where he was going, what was happening, the suffering that was waiting for him, you know what he did? He steadfastly set his face and went to Jerusalem. What are you going to go to Jerusalem for? They're going to crucify me. He told his disciples. Peter was like, oh, no, they're not. Not while I'm around. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. But I got to go. Notice, nobody could talk him out of it. He simply was steadfast in the way he was going. That's what James is talking about. He said, when problems come, pray for an enduring patience, a long suffering that says, hey, I'm, I'm not going to move from what God's called me to do. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit on church. I'm not going to quit serving. I'm not going to quit uh, reading my Bible. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm simply just not going to quit. I'm going to keep moving forward. That, that's what James is saying. When he says, establish your hearts. Pray for some long suffering, for some endurance. I love what Phillips Brooks said. Phillips Brooks was a, a preacher in the New England area uh, in the 18th century, or in the 19th century, in the 1800s. And he said this, he, he was talking to a friend one time and, and uh, he was kind of, uh, had lost his patience there and he was kind of pacing back and forth. And, and his friend said, hey, uh, what, what, what's the trouble? Hey, Philip, what, what's wrong? And he said, I'll tell you what's wrong. He said, the, 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 the trouble is, is that I'm in a hurry and God's not. And so many times it's like that, right? We're in a hurry and we're wondering, hey, God, where are you in this? I, I, weeks are passing by here, God. I don't know if you know this. Problem's not going away. God, when are you going to answer? When are things going to change? And the temptation is, you know what? God probably needs my help. Let me help him out. And God is saying, just be patient. Blessings will come, but be patient. Sorrow lasteth but the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And there are blessings that God wants, he says, but if you'll just endure, if you'll just be long-suffering, if you'll just wait, if you'll just not get off the path, if you'll just establish your hearts, if you just put yourself steadfast and saying, I'm not quitting. God says that, that kind of prayer will help you to endure. Let me give you a second prayer quickly this morning, and that's a prayer for excess patience. Excess patience. Now, that first patience has to do with our long suffering, but excess patience has to do with patience with others. Once you get to verse number nine, James says, grudge not one against another. <laughs> In other words, he's challenging us not to lose our love for others during a time of trouble and difficulties because it's easy to lose confidence and compassion of others when going through problems have you not noticed that that happens to me it's like 
when your kids have been yelling the whole time and it's supposed to be a relaxing Saturday and suddenly it gets to this point and that's it. Time to let them know. And you lose. You lose that patience with them. You say, oh, Pastor, I'm not a parent, thankfully. I don't, I don't need excess patience. How about when you're on Facebook and someone's saying something or commenting and you know it's towards you? That feeling to kind of leave a comment and say, oh, okay. That feeling to kind of let them know that they're not fooling anyone. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe do a quick little post where you can kind of get the story straight. And that's what James is talking about. Listen, it's not a time to just kind of complain and, and groan about what others are doing and what they're saying. They're the source of my problem. So many times we, wanna, we always want to blame others, don't we? And James says, listen, the prayer that you should be praying to God is saying, God, help me to be patient with others during this time. I know I'm frustrated, but help me not to complain about others. Sometimes to let go of that frustration, we think we just got to complain about them. And James says, don't do that. Don't allow yourself to be suspicious about everyone's intentions, about help, uh, hateful about what they're doing, about not trusting what they're doing, or not wanting to help anybody else. Uh, in Galatians, I put this in your notes, chapter 5, that's what Paul was telling the, the people of Galatia. <laughs> he says, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye not be consumed one of another. Be patient. Pray, God, help me to have that excess patience, patience with others. Because our natural tendency is to bite and devour one another. James says, don't do that. You ought to pray to have joy in God's mercy and compassion. And here, James uses the life of Job. He said, you ought to suffer affliction with patience. Now, if you know the story of Job and you read the story, you find Job did not have patience. <laughs> That's what he learned during what God was doing in the trials and in the problems. In fact, many times Job said, God, where are you? And he said, I look up and I don't see you. I look to my left and you're not there. I look to my right and it's darkness. I look behind me and there's nobody around. God, where are you? God, have you not seen? I lost everything. God, I lost my children. God, my wife is telling me to curse you and die. God, where are you? We don't see a man that was suffering with patience. We see a man whose patience is running out. But you get to the end of the story. And Job says, there were things that were too wonderful for me. You get to chapter 42, verse 5. There in your notes, he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here's what happened. Through all of that, Job learned this of excessive endurance of patience. He had to be patient with his friends. His friends were telling him, it's your fault, Job. Job, you deserve everything you're getting and more. That was his friends. Who knows what his enemies were saying. But his friends were saying that. James says, remember Job? 
And at the end, he was saying, God, your mercy, unbelievable, amazing. Your compassion towards me, I, I can't believe I was actually demanding of God, answer me and answer me now. I'm sure Job thought, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I told my friends, you don't know what you're talking about. God was using them to teach Job patience. So James says, remember Job's life. Remember those experiences and pray, God, help me to have an enduring patience, an excess patience with others. It's important for us to realize that enduring consists of constantly trusting God even when not understanding what he's doing or why he's doing it. Just trusting God. Remind ourselves, mercy and compassion. God was full of mercy and compassion. Right now is not the time to start, stop, start complaining about everybody else and what they're doing, what they're saying. What, no, no, no. Wait on God. Patiently wait on God. Let me give you the last prayer and we're done. Pray for an exact patience. There in verse number 12, he says, but of all, above all things, swear neither by heaven Neither by the earth, neither any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. James just constantly challenging, I mean, challenges us to be constant and consistent in our prayer. That's what it means to be an exact patience in prayer. Thank God, help me to be consistent in this. Help me be constant throughout this. In other words, to be honest at all times. You know, when problems come into our lives, it's easy to lose our integrity. Like, when everything's going right and it's easy to do the right thing, then we do the right thing. It's when things get difficult and you know you're going to get pushback from friends at work or friends at school or pushback from people that you might even know, but you're going to get pushback. That's when it gets harder. That's when it gets harder to establish your hearts. That's when it gets harder for your yay to be yay. Because that's all that James is talking about here. Just make sure you're being consistent. Man, going through problems makes that difficult, doesn't it? It's hard to keep that kind of integrity in life. In 1 Samuel, we don't have time this morning to read the passage, but it's there in your notes. You can read it later. I'll just give you a summary. David, in one of those times where he's waiting to become king in those 10 years, Saul's been after him, and he's hungry. He's starving, actually. And he goes to the tabernacle, and he asks the priest, can I have some bread? Do you have anything to eat? The priest says, no. All we have is the food here that is holy, that is set apart just for the priest. And David said, give me that. And the priest asked him, David, why are you alone? Like, why are you, why are you here? Why are you starving? Where are you running from? What, what's happening? The priest did not know at this time that Saul was actively seeking to kill David. And you know what David does? He lies. He tells the priest, hey, I'm on a secret mission. Nobody can know, so don't tell nobody. The priest believes David, says, okay. A few days later, Saul finds out, calls the priest 
to come before him. He tells the priest, hey, I heard you're helping David. Don't you know David's a fugitive? Don't you know I'm looking to kill him? You're, you're with David, aren't you? You're helping him. And he said, I don't know. Well, king, David's like your best warrior. And he told me he was on a secret mission for you. Saul said, liar, you know. The Bible says that Saul ordered the murder of 85 people, that priest and his whole family. The Bible says he murdered his children, even the babies of that family, 85 in all. What happened? Just for a moment, David lost a little bit of integrity. Cost the lives of 85 people. Now you say, well, David didn't kill him. No, he didn't. That was on Saul, absolutely. But he lost in his integrity because he was starving. Instead of patiently waiting and saying, God, there's got to be another way. No, no, no. David took it upon himself. I'll figure it out. And James says, listen, be consistent. That inconsistency can cost you. Then I want you to notice, lastly, in an exact patience, that prayer is to avoid hypocrisy in your life. At the end of verse number 12, he says, lest you fall into condemnation. The Greek word that's translated condemnation into English is hypocrisis. Yes, it's what we get the word hypocrisy from. James says, pray that you have that kind of patience to be consistent and not be hypocritical during times of difficulty in your life. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said the same thing, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. When you pray for patience during problems, pray that you're consistent. To remain honest and not hypocritical, to have your integrity intact during those times of trial. James says it's important. That's how you're going to get through it. Life of prayer. Life of prayer. So, the question this morning is, are you facing your problems through prayer? Maybe you're facing something right now and you're thinking, I can figure it out, I can figure it out. Can I just remind you about what James is saying here in this passage? Pray for endurance. That's what you ought to pray for. Pray for the excess patience and say, I got to love people during this time. I'm not going to be suspicious and hateful. No, no, no. And pray that God will keep you honest in your integrity and not be hypocritical during these times of problems. Pray, God, help me to do that as I face what I'm facing. Pray that way. You know, when the gospel first came to the continent of Africa, there was a lot of converts, and those early converts were, were very much earnest and regular in their private devotions. In fact, each one reportedly had a separate spot there in the thicket where they would go and pour out their heart to God and just pray. The early converts there in Africa would do this. And over time, the paths to these places became very well-worn, and, and you could see where the path was leading. And everyone had their path where they would go and stop in a place, maybe under a tree or just maybe in the middle of a field, and just 
pour out their heart to God when facing the problems that they were facing. As a result of this, if one of the believers began to neglect their prayer, if, if they're, they'd stop taking that path to go and pray and pour out their, their heart to God, then, of course, grass would begin to grow because no one was stepping through that path anymore. And they would run, or they would remind one another when that would happen, and they would say, hey, brother, the grass is beginning to grow on your path. Don't leave God out. Stay consistent in your prayer. Don't let the grass grow on your path. And this morning, I don't know what problems you might be facing, but can I remind you, don't let the grass grow on your path. Be sure you stop and take time throughout your day and say, God, help me. Help me to endure. Help me to love others during this time. God, just, just help me to keep my integrity as I face what I'm facing, as I do what you've called me to do, don't let the grass grow on that path. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Father, it's so important for us to remember that prayer is the key. It's the key to a genuine Christian life. It's the key to actually living out what our faith says we believe. And Father, I don't know what problems or troubles that we might be facing here today. But I do know this, that the answer is prayer. That the answer doesn't lie within me, but it lies within having patience through prayer. And I pray that this morning, you would give us a long suffering through these trials and problems. We wouldn't get ahead of you, but that we would be patiently waiting for your blessings. And that we would establish our hearts to not go to the right hand or to the left. I pray that we wouldn't grudge one another. That we wouldn't complain and that we wouldn't think that so never change and never go away, but help us to remember sorrow lasteth but the night. Joy cometh in the morning. I pray that we would, we would not only have patience that would love you, love others, but help us to keep our integrity, Father, to be consistent in this life of prayer. Help not the grass to grow on our path, Help us not to neglect you in these times that are most critical in our life. But help us to find in you the answer for what we are seeking. Father, we love you today. Give us patience. And we pray our way through our problems. Not simply do it on our own or neglecting you. We ask by your spirit we would be able to do this. Work in our hearts and work in our lives. Help us to even do that this week, every day. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.